Welcome to the Told Me podcast series to learn and develop for medical educators from the Frank H. Nutter MD School of Medicine. This podcast is for busy medical school faculty who want to expand their knowledge in teaching. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Coplett, and I will bring you interviews with experts in medical education, fellow faculty, and medical students to discuss the issues most relevant to today's medical educators. Today's podcast was the first that we ever recorded. It was recorded pre-pandemic, and we didn't know nearly as much about sound quality, so apologies for that. However, it should feel as relevant as ever. Welcome to the second part of our three-part series on giving feedback. In today's podcast, I'm welcoming Dr. Taranjeet Ahuja, Director of Initial Clinical Experience and Advanced Clinical Experience Continuity Clinics at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. Our focus today will be on writing useful narrative feedback, the comments that we write on learners' forms. We'll talk about how you can write comments that actually provide useful feedback to your learners and for the course and clerkship directors who are using these assessments for grades and MISPs, which are now called Dean's Letters. Writing valuable narrative feedback is a topic that you felt very dedicated to addressing, but why is that? You know, the students actually are constantly asking for more feedback. And this is one place where it's structured and it happens at the end of every experience. So they look forward to it. They want to know how they can improve. Most of my students are, um, you know, most of my program is within the first and second year. And then the third year, it's continuity clinic, which is, in terms of time, not as much outpatient experience as it is heavy in the first and second year. Mm -hmm. And they're novice. They don't know if they're doing the right thing. They don't know if they're taking... Um, the right steps in, in, in terms of improvement, and they want to know from their preceptor how they can improve. There are probably lots of unstructured touch points where they may ask for feedback on the fly, but this is one place where it's structured and it's written and it, and it is tagged with your name and um, does end up on their dean's letter, which then is read by program directors across the country wherever they apply. That's where they get to showcase themselves to people. So we, so it's really important to students and students talk about that all the time. Absolutely. Um, I know I hear a lot about students saying that they wish the feedback that they got both verbally and written was better um, and more and more is more important than I think better in terms of the feedback I hear. Um, but you also feel strongly about this because in your experience, I know we've talked about this. This is one of the things that faculty come to you about. So you hear, so in what context are you hearing from faculty and talking to them about this? Most of the time it's when preceptors are trying to package feedback that may not be positive. So it's mostly negative feedback and they want to deliver in a way that's effective and resonates with the student. I wish I heard from more faculty because I do think a conversation helps and that feedback is so important for that student to grow as a physician, a future physician. So it's usually, I want to say that he or she is coming in late, leaving early. I don't feel this person's dedicated. How do I say that so it doesn't look like, you know, all the time they spent with me was waste, which wasn't when they were here, they were really good. But, you know, the fact that they're just lax in terms of being punctual and wanting to leave early to study. How do I package that so they understand that part of being a physician is showing dedication 
And that to me comes off as, you know, a person that's not dedicated. So, you know, things like that, that they feel that they want to write down. And at the same time, they don't want it to be punitive to the student and right. that, it, that it hurts them in the long run. But yeah. They feel it's important for yeah. them to know. And I want to come back to that. We're going to come back to that a little bit later about that, about that worry about being punitive, but it's, but it's really important and a, and a very close to the heart topic for students and for faculty. So I'm glad we're talking about it today. Um, faculty have often called their comments when they write their comments or when they write this narrative feedback on an evaluation. They've said to me, that's the subjective part of my evaluation and the objective part of my evaluation are the rating scores that I give the student. But the comments are no more subjective than the ratings if they're describing their observations of the student's performance. Uh, I like to I, I, I like to make a point of that because I want them to know that those comments are very rich and very important as part of both the assessment and the feedback and not to see them so much as subjective um, and more descriptive, a descriptive evaluation essentially. Do you hear comments about the terms objective and subjective? Does that bother faculty or you? I, I absolutely agree with you. I do think that the comments, whether they're descriptive or through a Likert scale is an observation of the students. So um, they both are important. I personally, I remember when I was a student, my eyes would go straight to the comments and you would kind of scan over the Likert scale questions, but you would really want to go to the comments. Mm -hmm. And I would always hope that the comments supported the yes. Likert scale questioning, Likert scale questioning. And if they didn't, if they didn't match, I was always left confused. Isn't that the number one complaint concern, complaint or concern of medical students about the evaluations that they say that the scores did not match the comments. That's so common. I think that's common. And I also think maybe faculty may not be aware that when you do score someone lower on a question, you have to give descriptive comments mm -hmm. that support you that. You have to explain it. You have to explain it and you have to make it actionable. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's not helpful. Right. Um, well, this is one of the reasons that I like to use the term narrative feedback because it describes the purpose of the comments and elevates the importance of their written words. And there's a study that I just wanted to mention to you because I found it and I thought it was really interesting. I thought that you would too, and, and you may have already seen it, but it was in um, the Journal of General Internal Medicine from 2015, written by Jackson. And they looked at the quality of written feedback by internal medicine attendings for internal medicine residents. And they found a few things, but the thing that I thought was so interesting is that written comments about medical knowledge correlated with in-service training scores. And you're nodding your head. And <laughs> no one can see you nod your head. But I thought that was such good evidence of narrative feedback being objective when it is a description of performance. So it is so important in that way. I totally agree with you. I, was, I, I read that article also. and. I do think that sometimes faculty may not spend time on that because they just want to get the form back in because it's due and we've been bothering them for a long time. And the most important part, I believe, are those comments in the left yeah. out. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the 
challenges of writing good narrative feedback and how to make it better because that's what that's what we're really here to talk about. Um, I'm a general internist, you're a pediatrician. Between us, we've written a lot of narratives on assessment forms for students and residents. It's the hardest part of the form to complete, right? It is. It takes me the longest time because I want to be thoughtful and I want to be constructive. Yes. And I want it to be valuable. Yeah. And that is the part that is the most time consuming, but well worth it in the end. Yeah. You know? I want to highlight, I want to say, what is it about this student also that makes them unique? Because there's so many evaluation forms and there's so many comments and you want to help set them apart in what, because every student is special in some right, way, right? And, and coming up with everything you said, plus that, it's, it's hard. It's it takes hard. a little time. I remember my residency director telling me when she reads a letter, she wants it, she picks the candidates that really, she reads their description and says, I want to meet this person. I want to pull this person right out of the paper. Mm. And like you said, there are special attributes to every student. And it's our job to highlight that. Yeah. And then, you know, the constructive part comes with it because I think we all have room for improvement. Uh, I, I constantly am uh, criticizing myself also, what can I do better? And, and I think that mentor or a faculty member that can highlight that for you and be there for you. And that's what I notice in the, in the comments that are helpful is that some of the preceptors won't fill out the form until they have measured how the student has done after the feedback. And I think that that's so nice because they don't just write the feedback they gave, they actually observe the students in the time period after the feedback's been given and then says in the comment, the student actually was able to apply all the feedback I gave and showed much improvement. So I think that that's so valuable to the student too that the effort I put in was noticed. Yeah. This is not something that was just written and then the preceptor didn't comment on, you know, the last couple of weeks that I worked really hard. And I think that that's always nice when you can show improvement in your comment. And I'm sure that's what residency directors look for also, which is improvement over mm -hmm. time. And the ability to incorporate feedback and, and apply it. Absolutely. Yeah. That, and that, I'm so glad you said that because we're not talking today about verbal feedback. We're right. talking about written feedback, which tends to be summative, meaning that it's the end of a period of time that you're with somebody right. and you may not be with them again ever or not for a long time. Right. So we didn't even talk about the fact that ideally, right, we want this to be not the first time they're getting feedback. Ideally, we're hoping they got verbal feedback at some point much earlier in the time that we're with them. They had time to work on things, improve with your guidance and mentoring. And now you're writing this more summative assessment, uh, descriptive assessment of them. And including in that, uh, you know, your ongoing goals and feedback for them going forward. But it's not the first time. So that's your, what you described as ideal. Um, I do workshops about writing effective narrative feedback. And it's a topic that our colleagues are really interested in. And it's not surprising because we find it just as challenging. Right. So time is always an issue. Um, but that, that's not what I wanna talk about in terms of the barriers and the challenges to writing good feedback. Um, they're always incredibly busy. But the three main reasons that they tell me it's challenging are these three. One, they say they don't feel they've had enough time with the student to write comments that are specific to that student. And I was thinking we'll go through each of these. 
Two, that they can't always remember specific examples of their students' performance when it comes time to fill out their evaluation form. And three, and most importantly, they know that their comments could end up in the student's MISPE or Dean's letter and therefore don't want to write down suggestions for improvements. Barring the infrequent occurrence when a student's really struggling, of course. So for the majority of students, they're worried about writing a comment that would be perceived as negative because they care about not negatively affecting the student's chances to get the residency of their choice, which of course then becomes a vicious cycle because then they're less likely to give that feedback verbally if it's not written and right, then they're not getting it. Right. So let's go through each of these and talk about ways to address each one. Sure. So not enough time with the student. They feel like they didn't spend enough time to write comments that are specific to that student. What do you tell faculty when they, tell, when they say that to you? So most of the experiences that I direct, there is a longitudinal aspect of the experience, but let's say there is a situation where there isn't enough time. I do think that one of the things I ask preceptors to do is when a student right before they leave your office to ask them to do a, a quick self-assessment on their performance. And I could tell you for the most part, students are more critical on themselves than others would be. And they could say, well, you know, that last patient, I really don't think I, you know, summarized well for you. And I do think that I left some important pieces out. And uh, next time when I present to you, I'll make sure that, you know, it's pieced together a little more. Flu, uh, in, a, in a fluid manner. The other thing is having them just say one thing that they learned that day and mm. or you know a skill set that they improved on by spending a couple of hours with you. I'm a preceptor currently as well and before the resident walks out of my office that's the first thing I say is or last thing I, says, I should say is tell me something that you learned from me today you know and, and I'll make them in the moment reflect and also say, what do you want to work on for next week? And, and I think that that can sort of make up that time barrier because you are sort of asking them to think about the last couple hours and what they learned mm -hmm. from it. And, and I, that, that can hopefully help that, that barrier in a way. Um, I don't know, have you had similar? Yeah, well, and what I hear, I hear you saying a couple of things. And one is that I hear you saying that sort of separately from this, that you're sort of promoting self-directed learning as you do this, right? And you're also, by doing that, um, you're helping them engage in the process of deliberate practice, right? Because deliberate practice is needed to develop expertise and you need to set goals for yourself. You need to be observed in trying to achieve right. those goals and get feedback right. and repeat that process over again. And whether it's verbal or written, I get this same concern. I didn't right. spend enough time with right. the student, right? right? And this happens more on clerkships. So what, what I do and what I advise faculty to do is I say, you know, tell, write on the form or say to the student how long you've been with them. That's true. And say in the time, right, in the week that I've been with you, even if it's a shift. You're doing an ER shift right. and you've had one shift with this person. Right. You have valuable feedback to offer because you've made a lot of observations of their performance and so your feedback is valuable. Give that feedback to them. Make that tie all those assessments worthwhile. 
right? And say that, you know, I know I've only been with you for one shift. Here's some things that I think that you're, wow, you're really on track. Here's some strengths. Here are some things I'd love to see you work on for the next time you're back in the year or wherever it is, right? Or the week or the two weeks, because people also have very different thresholds, I think, about when they feel enough time to give feedback. Right. Sometimes I think people feel like they have to be with somebody for a very long time. So I think it is important to uh, give yourself that freedom, so to speak, as a teacher to make your valuable observations helpful to the learner. And I also would say that the preceptor should be familiar with the assessment form. Yes. Go through those questions critical. ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Because the last thing you need to do is read that question. Like, oh, I don't really remember a specific situation. But if you've read that assessment form ahead of time, you yes. know what you need to look for, it'll make it easier. 100%. So you just jump to the next thing, which was the next challenge. So they don't remember specific examples. Right. So I think if you have that form handy and you know that by the end of the week, you have to fill out this form on this student. Mm -hmm. I'm the type of person that will just jot little notes on that and it makes it easier for you because if you have to complete this form by the end of the week, it, mm -hmm. it's harder to do it at the end of the week when you're like, oh my God, I don't remember what happened on Monday. Right. You know, I don't remember what happened this morning. So um, keeping that form handy and being familiar with the types of things that the course director is looking for and the student is looking for. And another thing to do is when a student starts their time with you, Ask them what their plan is. What do they want to get out of the experience from you? Mm -hmm. And this way you have a sense also of this is where my student is starting. This is where they want to be at the end of the week and then provide feedback on that. I think that that's really helpful to the student too because they are, they feel accountable for the plan that they just laid out to you at the beginning of a shift or on, you know, let's say if it's their week with you that Monday morning and then they will sort of work harder to live up to the plan that they created. Yes, incredibly helpful. In fact, you can do exactly what you said with the faculty, right? You could have this go through it with the student from the beginning and say, here's your assessment form, right? So I want to help you in all of these areas. Which areas do you, do you most want my help in? Exactly. And we'll work on it together, exactly. right? So that it doesn't, it's not about the summative assessment. It's about I'm allying with you. I'm here to, to help you. And that's how we, I think that's how we also practice patient care. We want to partner with the patient. And right. in this situation, we're partnering with our learner. Right. And, you know, sharing the accountability. Yeah. So that's interesting that you use the form to jot down notes. I used to, I, when I'm on service, I carry note cards. Mm -hmm. And I have one note card for each, each, person. each person. And I just jot down things as I see them or as they happen so that I remember because it's going to be a month until Absolutely. I'm writing this, right? Um, and I do give them feedback in between. But nonetheless, I still won't remember at the end. Right. So that's a really neat idea, though, to jot it on the form itself. So you could just have one folded up in your pocket, that's right, it. and carry it around. That's a great idea. So let's talk about the, the big one, or the one that faculty have said to me, or to me seems to be the big one, which is they are afraid to hurt the students' residency applications by writing, thing, writing anything that is not positive. Doesn't this create problems also, because this is the scenario where the rating scale doesn't match the comments. Right. Right, so, because if they're afraid to write anything that's not positive, and yet there are areas where the student, you know, needed some work, they're not going to rate them as highly, but they're not going to say that. 
And those are usually the assessments that I chase because I always have a conversation with a preceptor when the ratings don't match the comments or if there's no comments there at all. Yeah. I make sure I have a conversation with that preceptor because, you know, when a student looks at that, and if I know there are areas that the student needs to improve on, that information is vital. Mm -hmm. That's the student, you know, all that time that they spent with that preceptor is so valuable. And I think that that time that they've spent, you're not going to find in another setting, at least in the first and second year here. So when I go to the preceptor and I speak to them and I tell them the amount of hours you have spent with the student, no other faculty has. Mm -hmm. And this information can really help the student grow into yeah. where they want to be. And that is, is a huge barrier because they feel that they don't want the student to get in trouble or they don't want them to look bad on paper. And I actually have always encouraged not only writing the feedback, but then following up with the discussion. And specifically, since we we're talking about narrative comments, I do think there is a way to document narrative comments that don't always have to appear so negative. You can, you know, kind of anchor it to their level of training and say for an MS1 student, this is what my expectation was. And this student is at par, but I do feel that the student can grow uh, and have potential. Um, because we're really, we're, for the most part, most of the students are at par or above, right? Right. So we're so there are less common scenarios where there are students who really are struggling, right? And those are not typically the ones where people are too concerned about writing because they, generally speaking, they know they have to. It's right. really important for the students right. to succeed. But those students who are at par and above, sometimes we just they get the least attention, right? But we right. want every student to excel to their full potential. That's exactly right. Because the ones that are subpar, the ones that are not at, at their level, those definitely, I feel the preceptors feel the need to put it all down on paper, but it's the ones that are kind of sliding by mm -hmm. and are average and they feel that maybe it's the field that they're not interested in or they're not sure, you know, they, they'll tell me, I can't put my finger on it, but the thing is when I physically live at the school, I know the student may be struggling in other areas also. Mm -hmm. And so I have that in um, however, I, I don't often share that with the preceptor because I don't want to bias the preceptor. Right. But I do encourage them to talk with me out loud, reflect with me what the what the concern is and where they think the student can improve and, and document that in a, in a way that's palatable. Mm -hmm. um, I do read all the MSPE letters before their final. And, you know, I look for those students that were at that place. And for the most part, when they hit clerkships and they hit third year, they have shown improvement. And I'm sure that as a residency director, that's what you want to see, that those holes, those gaps have been, have been filled over time. Mm -hmm. um, have you had that experience as well? Yeah. And, um, and, and in fact, what we tell our faculty, and, and because it's true, <laughs> um, is that because this comes up in the clerkships quite a lot, faculty are really concerned about, you know, what they write. And we tell them to, to please try to um, write authentically about the student's strengths and areas for improvement and that they are not writing the MISP paragraph. That's, 
not their role. Their role is to write an authentic description of the student's performance. It's the role of the clerkship director to write the summative narrative and that the quote negative comments or the constructive right, right. Um, right. comments, those don't usually go in. We want those there more to help the student, whereas it's it's typically we're pulling more from the positive comments right. and that the, the comments about the students, any struggles with performance typically aren't included in their paragraphs unless these are uh, persistent issues that come exactly. up clerkship after clerkship. Right. So if, if those comments end up in the MISPE, it's not because they made one comment in right. one evaluation form, and that's not how the MISPE works. Right, exactly. And that's the same case for us yeah. also. Obviously, I think it's important that whatever school you're at, you talk to the course director, the clerkship director, and, and find those things out. I think that is important to know, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty similar in most institutions in terms of how that's done. Um, most faculty also believe there's a code language for the Ms. Yes. And each, each person's code language, each institution's code words are different. Is this true? And what do you tell your faculty about that? So I actually don't tune my faculty into that because I don't want to lose the authenticity of their comments. No, not to tune them into it. Did they come to you and say, I, I want to make sure that I'm using the right words for the most outstanding student or the average student or the struggling student because I know that there are certain words that are taboo or certain words that are looked for. That's very interesting. I, in my courses that I, that I, I direct, I deal with community preceptors. So these are preceptors that are not academic. They're not in academic settings for the most part. So I have not had a situation where students, um, they don't, they want to describe the students with the right adjective. Actually, mm -hmm. I haven't had that situation, but I see terminology along the lines of exceptional, you know, outstanding, um, when I, when, I, when I actually read the comments, but I haven't had that happen. And that may be different because these are not clerkship directors. These are not people that are filling out these forms monthly. Um, so I haven't had that situation. Yeah, but what does that mean, right? What is exceptionally, so that what, what we talk about with the, our faculty is try to just don't, don't worry about those code words because there really aren't any anymore. Things that, I think things have changed a lot in that right. regard. And again, it's not up to them to write this MISP paragraph, so they should really be authentically writing about these things. And if they say somebody's exceptional, they should be writing a description of why That's they right. think that too. Right. Because just saying exceptional doesn't have a whole lot of credibility in and of itself That's right. without backing it up. And I think that that goes for any sort of feedback. I think if you're going to use an adjective to describe a student, you really yes. should provide a description. And it's very interesting that a lot of times I'll notice personality descriptions. That this person's very gentle. They're very caring, very sweet. I mean, that's all nice, mm -hmm. but I don't think that that's a description of their performance. Right. How did that impact their interactions right. with their colleagues or their right. patients? Right. right. That's what we want to hear. That's what we want to hear is that they are able to form rapport with patients right. and the staff in the office because they have that personality. But just to leave it as a standalone isn't very helpful. Right. 
So we're basically telling people, Taranji, that we are, they are <laughs> going to spend an extra five to 10 minutes on this narrative feedback right. than they planned on if, they, right. if they're thinking about all this. And it's true, it does take a little extra time, little but has a massive impact. So we haven't talked about the student's perspective yet. I found an article I'd like to talk to you about. This article is from 2016. It was by Gulbus, Garin, and Ryder. I hope I'm pronouncing their names correctly. Called, Does What We Write Matter? Determining the Features of High and Low Quality Summative Written Comments of Students on the Internal Medicine Clerkship. Their goal was to determine the features of high and low quality written comments as determined by medical students. So now we're thinking of the student perspective. The study was from Dartmouth. They had 22 third and fourth year medical students participate and their methods were interesting. Of course, they described their methods in statistical analysis in detail. So this is a very quick summary. The research team took all written faculty comments for one year categorized them according to phrases with the same central meaning, then randomly selected 62 of those comments. Then the students sorted those comments into helpful and unhelpful piles. Mm -hmm. And then they were interviewed, the students were interviewed to explain why they made the choices they made. And this is what they found. And it wasn't, it was nothing shocking, right? There was one little interesting tidbit that I definitely wanna talk about. So what did they find helpful? When their faculty or attending gave specific examples of their behavior and when their comments made it clear that they had real knowledge of the student and a relationship with the student. So one example they gave was excellent communicator, compassionate and gifted in her communication with her patients who were very fond of her and appreciative of her care. Even patients who were not hers missed her when she left the rotation. So to me, that sort of gets at what you were saying about the whole, you know, this is a kind of person's care, but how did that impact peer? This is how it impacted patient care. Right. And clearly this is very, but like that, that to me, remember that powerful statement yes. you made about the residency director, that person comes out of the page. Right. I want to meet her. Right. right? right. Yeah. Uh, they also said it was helpful when they gave information to this, when a faculty member gives a student information about how to excel on their next clerkship. So that was useful as well. What did they find less helpful? Non-specific statements like keep up the good work, you're on the right start, it was a pleasure working with you. And we see that a lot, right? And, and that's the majority of the comments I feel are yeah. keep doing what you're doing. Right. Keep your head high, doing right. great. You know, or they'll say no specific improvements. How could that be? How could that be that a med student can have no specific comments to improve? Right. So I actually will encourage students to create a SMART plan. The S stands for specific, which is something that they can say, I will practice the cardiac exam on every patient I see for the next five days. And it's measurable because they are saying it over time, it's attainable, it's something that they can actually do in practice. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's, they will be seeing multiple patients a day, so that's something that they can definitely practice. Is it relevant? It's, it is relevant for this student. Maybe they are feeling uncomfortable with picking up murmurs and it's, and is it time-based? Yes, it's time-based. They're doing it over a span of a week. So creating a SMART plan is great because the student can start their week with something to work on. And the end of the week, they'll say, I did a cardiac exam on every patient I saw, you know, this past week. And this is how I feel in terms of my improvement. Um, and this can be something that the preceptor can also use on the form and say, this is something that I want them to apply to their next rotation and 
let it be specific and they feel that the student would benefit from maybe you know doing oral presentations at least once every session and feel that that could help them gain the practice that they need um, usually smart plans are derived by the students but if that's a way that a preceptor can guide their comments thinking of specific behaviors the student can really work on i think it would be more helpful that's a great model to use. I appreciate you talking about that. That that's really really helpful and practical and not difficult. Right? It's not difficult. I think that if you break it. it down for yourself, um, and, and it won't take that that time that you may think it'll take you to write that comment. Just think of just ending your comment with something that the student can just improve, and then I think it'll be a, a great way to end your narrative in writing that feedback. Yeah. So, and I want to finish out the, um, the study and other things students found helpful and unhelpful. So the other thing they found less helpful was descriptions of the terms found in the grading rubric without giving specific examples of how to improve. How to improve. An example that they gave was enthusiastic, bright, energetic, excellent interpersonal skills with patients, team members, nursing, eager to learn and ready to work. So I would argue that these are probably not terms in the grading rubric but those code words from the hidden curriculum, like enthusiastic, right? So I think there are a couple issues with that. One is that these are a lot of adjectives and nothing to explain why you use the adjectives. And also a lot of adjectives that aren't, not all of them, some of them that probably aren't in the grading rubric that, you know, for example, we always um, hear, well, this, I had a problem with the student because they didn't seem enthusiastic or this student was great because they were so enthusiastic. So enthusiasm is part of this hidden curriculum around faculty find this to be a very important attribute in clinical training. And yet it's not something that we're evaluating for. And I think part of that is because that is quite subjective, whether somebody is enthusiastic. That is true. That is true. So I think it's important to, to keep in mind, look at that grading rubric, but then give those specific examples. Right. I think um, another thing that I can add to what you're saying is tell a story about, about that time that you felt that they were enthusiastic. Yes. And think of it as a story rather than, you know, if you feel like you can't remember examples, you know, I, I believe storytelling really captures the reader. Absolutely. And when I, if I read adjectives like that, they don't tell me anything. But when these adjectives are applied to a context of a story, I will remember that story. So one last thing that was interesting that the students found less helpful, I thought this was interesting, sentence fragments lacking verbs and appropriate punctuation. So the examples were, was always punctual, or is above level of his peers. And I think my my thought about that was that the sentence fragment somehow implies that the faculty member didn't take enough time to even write a full sentence and so therefore did they take time to really think about my performance but they didn't talk about that piece what do you think i mean those comments don't sound personal yeah the person's name is not in the comment right. when i see the student's name in the comment that means a lot because how do i know this wasn't copy pasted from the last student right you know you want them to be personable and that those type of comments don't feel you know, for the amount of time a student spends with the faculty member, this is sort of our way of giving back to them. And that's a great way to think about it. You know? It's a great way to think about it. 
the takeaways were when defining a comment is helpful, 82% of students use the word specific and they requested a concrete example or anecdote, as you said, to illustrate the comment. So write the little story because that could, for me, that actually makes it easier to write specifics is when I tell a story. So that might be helpful for people to think about. Unhelpful comments were described as generic, vague, and nonspecific. And I think that this, what the students are saying here also sums up everything there is to say about writing valuable narrative feedback. For anybody. For anybody. here. Right. For anybody. And then the last thing that this was what I found really interesting. There was no correlation between the valence of the comment, meaning whether the comment was positive about the performance or negative about the performance, and the perceived helpfulness. So it's not that students just don't want to hear anything perceived as negative in their evaluations. It's about specificity to help them improve. And that's coming from the students. A group from the UK created a quality improvement intervention. This was a 2017 study by, by Barlett, Crossley, and McKinley. And it was titled Improving the Quality of Written Feedback Using Written Feedback. <laughs> I like that title. They developed a QI instrument, which was basically a rating scale to rate the narrative feedback. And when those ratings were given back to the faculty, they saw the quality of written feedback improve for two consecutive years and then stabilize in year three. So they improved and then they stayed up there, That's great. which I thought was uh, pretty powerful. So this is something I find very helpful and I hope to do this at my own institution because we tell faculty that students can't improve without feedback and yet we expect faculty to improve without feedback. Right, right. If someone's struggling with what to write, let's say a colleague at any institution and they have serious concerns about a student's performance or they feel that they don't know the student well enough, who do you recommend they talk to? I recommend they talk to the person that sent the student to their, to their clinical setting. So if it's a course director, their clerkship director, pick up the phone and call because I can tell you, I appreciate those phone calls when I can help mentor a colleague on how to write feedback. And um, so don't hesitate and struggle with it on your own. And I think that clerkship director, course director wants to hear from you. Yeah. Our course directors and clerkship directors feel the same way. They say, I wish people would call me more. I'd much rather have the conversation before the evaluation is filled out or before the feedback is given, whether it's verbal or narrative. And don't wait, don't wait to the end. Yeah. If this student is with you for five months, and that, that can happen in, one of, in our medicine experience in the first year, midway through, if something doesn't feel right, pick up and yeah. call. Don't wait to the end. That's their job. That's They want to help. Right. And so this way we can formulate a plan for the rest of their time with you rather than, you know, the experience is over and now I see this feedback and you know, I feel like it's a lost opportunity to help a student. Yeah. Taryn, it's been great to talk to you about this topic, which is challenging for all of us. Thank you very much for taking for the time me. to talk today. Thanks for having me. I know that I'll write better narrative feedback because of our conversation. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you. I would like to once again thank Taranjeet Ahuja, Director of the Initial Clinical Experience and Advanced Clinical Experience Continuity Clinic and co-leader of the Communications Curricular Thread at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. This is the Told Me Podcast to learn and develop for medical educators from the Netter School of Medicine Faculty Development Program at Quinnipiac University. I'm Lisa Coplett, 
Thanks for listening and join me for our next podcast where we'll round out our three-part series on giving feedback. You'll hear from two of our fourth-year students who graduated in May of 2020, Drs. Josh Bia and Nick Kalitri. They'll be running the show and we'll be talking about students' viewpoints on feedback. They provide an incredibly helpful perspective. Many thanks to the people who contributed to this show, Katie Lyons, our producer, and David DeRoche, our program director. For more information on other faculty development opportunities at Netter, email katie, K-A-T-I-E, dot L-Y-O-N-S at Q-U dot E-D-U. For more information on all of Quinnipiac's podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at QU Podcasts. 